Hello, and welcome to Lockdown Film Festival Conversations. In today's episode, we discuss Charlie Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York. Philip Seymour Hoffman stars as a theatre director working on his magnum opus, a monumental attempt to display the honesty and brutality of existence, while personally struggling with the women in his life. Thank you for joining us, and here's the conversation. Week 19, the lovely Max Miller's choice of uh, Synecdoche, New York, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, Kaufman, I don't really know. Um, so I'll pass over to Max to just give us a little background into why he chose it and to run our discussion. Over to you, Max. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Synecdoche, New York. This is a film that I have been meaning to see for a long time. Uh, because as you will have seen, and probably from watching it and checking Wikipedia, it has a reputation for some people think it's one of the best films ever made and some people think it's self-indulgent and completely unwatchable. And to me, that screams interesting. What a great discussion it would be to have. Um, so I saw that it came on Prime about four months ago, maybe. And because we were doing this, I was like, right, this is a film that I want to discuss as much as I want to watch it. And it's one of those films that's like, I know I'm going to enjoy this because it fits my thing. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I've seen Anomalisa and I love Charlie Kaufman's way of writing in terms of dialogue. I think he is one of the best screenwriters in the business at the moment. Uh, so to me, I thought this is something to share and something to just divulge with people who love film and we all have wildly different opinions and what better way to unleash and analyze and destroy this beast as much as enjoying it. Um, so before I get into themes about death and whatever the hell it all meant and Lara starts ripping into it, which I can't wait for. I just want to ask what people thought of the acting because I would like to think that that's something that most of us could agree on out of, from what I feel of it. Yeah, I thought the acting was amazing. Mm. Fair play. Acting was phenomenal. RIP. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. There you go. I agree. It was... <laughs> It was one of those films whereby it wasn't just, you know, a pyramid of acting. It was, yes, obviously, Phyllis Hoffman was fantastic and so was Samantha Morton and Catherine Keener and Michelle Williams and all of those kind of like, let's say, like slightly secondary leading actors. But every little small part I thought was portrayed brilliantly as well. Like, I, I you know, it's a very dense film in terms of how many people are in it and what they've all got to do. They've all got to do an element of heavy lifting and they all did it very, very impressively. And I thought that was considering, as you touched on Max, he's a very quite challenging screenwriter, Charlie Kaufman. And they did, they all, I thought, put, you know, put his words across excellently. Yeah, I'd agree. I think especially with for, um, Emily Watson and, and, and Diane Weist coming in that late as well, and still giving really amazing performances and, having characters that both had enough with only really a couple of scenes each or two or three scenes each. They were really impactful and like to have, and Michelle Williams, I guess, didn't come into her stride in terms of the part until halfway through the film. So that was an interesting uh, way of the, watching the performances. I suppose it's a little bit like that. <laughs> well, it's how you do Away We Go in a good way in that like <laughs> Catherine Keener's part was done early on and then other parts were only, you know, Diane Weiss comes into it in, what, an hour and a half in or something? So that kind of anthology nature of performances almost was 
almost like it was refreshing and everyone that no one skipped a beat everyone was excellent when they were called upon kind of thing i, I thought cool uh let's rip into it um what do people think of the genre because reading up on it and it's something that after watching it kind of clicked with me was that this was originally pitched as a horror film uh in terms of not horror as we know it but in terms of what people see as a day-to-day -day horror and Kaufman was writing it and he was speaking with Spike Jones, who he's worked on on uh, adaptation of being John Malkovich and they were like what scares us in our everyday lives and it's that thing of as you get older the days just pass by you get into a routine and before you know it time is slipping and it's moving so fast that that is almost then just a worry uh, and I was wondering if people could see that come through, uh, what they made of it and whether that was noticeable because it well, obviously started in 2005 and then I didn't clock any time and then before you know it, he gets the MacArthur Grant thing and it's 2009. And you see things are very weird. Uh, and I was wondering if anyone noticed that because it was only then I've been watching a YouTube video which has broken it down. And within the first bit where he's reading the paper, it jumps three months in the first two minutes because he's just in a morning routine of this mundane part of his life. Um, so yeah, just the genre of it and what people, whether people saw that or anything like that. To be fair, as much as I, I'll, I'll come out now and say, I really didn't like this film at all. Um, but that was one of the one few things, parts of it, you know, slapping symbolism at a wall as much as it could. And this was one of the messages that really got across to me, especially as I read a fact recently that said that um, apparently 24 is your perceptual halfway point in life in that your life feels as long before 24 as it does after 24, because everything becomes so similar. Nice and cheery for you all. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Jesus. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, 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 that's what kind of matches with the film a lot. Um, I think, yeah, I think in terms of the genre, it being initially conceptualized as a horror film, I get that. Like a lot of, a lot of what, this film I was in it I, I I didn't enjoy how I was feeling and in that way in that sense it was very very effective um but when I I also read just on Wikipedia it said that they, they pitched it as a horror and they basically started discussing you know what people fear um and then if you look at it then more as sort of a pastiche of just like things that a man in that particular kind of lifestyle would be afraid of that's all you get throughout the film, whether it's his own impotence, whether it's his health, whether it's again the passing of time. Yeah, so I thought it, I thought it was very effective um, in that sense. I, but it's not, it wasn't any horror, but it did definitely give me a lingering sense of dread to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some yeah. pretty creepy bits with, um, with Sammy uh, originally. Like, mm. I, jumping back a bit, I, I, I really liked the first half an hour, 45 minutes in that sense of like something is going on with him, something's not quite right. And I almost at points like body horror and this weird presence of this man behind him. And I was kind of excited to see where it went. And then I felt the second half didn't do what I wanted it to do kind of thing. I didn't get the answers that I wanted from what those setups were. Like I was almost annoyed when the, um, the payoff of this strange man behind him in certain scenes was, I've been following you for 20 years, I'm gonna play you. And that was it. And some people might think that's genius, but I thought it was like 
teased so much that I expected something weirder to be the case. So I suppose that's weird in itself. But um, yeah, I quite liked in terms of talking like genre, like you said, Max, that the naturalism of the start of the film and the mundanity of it, but there was something off. And then the second half of the film was almost like you had to look for like realistic bits amongst all of the in insanity. And I imagine that's why people will lord this film. But for me, that's why it wound me up because it felt like it was leading me down one path. And all of a sudden I was on a completely different path that I hadn't thought I was on for an hour. And that just pissed me off instead of blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the passage of time, I thought, what you spoke about Max, I thought was was I really liked the way that it moved the passage of time because I think we discussed it in maybe God interrupted this idea of like when the passage of time happens, it's like this montage of so like you know <laughs> of things happening and you see that so often that it's like we have to show that time is passing, so therefore we'll show a montage, you know. And this did the exact opposite of that. It didn't ever mm. tell you that there was a change in time period. You had to spot it yourself. You had to be like, okay, right there's little things in here telling me the passage of time and I have to work that out for myself. And sometimes you felt like you'd spotted it, but the characters hadn't spotted it. So it was like the whole thing with like, my daughter is now this old. And I was like, hang on, no, she's not. She's like four years old. What's wrong yeah. with you? And it's like, oh no, because the time has actually moved that far ahead. So it's, you know, it's interesting stuff like that, where it, it doesn't hammer it to you that the time has passed across. It's you have to completely work it out for yourself. Yeah. That is that you're exactly that, and that's what wound me up because it's like having to read trivia that the paper changes three months. Like, yeah, I'm, I don't, it's like, I don't know how you could do it more interesting. Where, <laughs> what a suggestion the daughter goes to one room and she's four and she walks back out and she's six and nothing changes. That to me is a more obvious times passing rather than like the date in the paper in the top left corner. It's like I'm being really clever, like it was yeah. constantly like there's an easier way. Because to me, it was like, like Gus, you just said, it was confusing that time had passed to a point it was like, hang on, have I missed a load of stuff? And then I was like catching up thinking, have I missed stuff? Or mm. I, I feel like there's an, if you, I, it's a much better way to do time passing, but I thought there were even more obvious things that you could, he could have done instead of like, oh, the milk's one date and then it's another date. And it's like, at that point in the film, I didn't know I needed to be paying attention to those kind of things. So I wasn't. Mm. And then... An hour and a half in, it's like, oh, I put it in the paper. And I'm like, well, I'm confused. It, was all, it almost felt like a level of pretentiousness. That it's like, look how clever I am making this film. And look how stupid you are that you have to go back and read all about all the clever things yeah. I did in this film. You idiot. That's what it felt like. Yes, I felt exactly the same as that. For the yeah. first half hour, I think, around about, I know I was watching, I mean, I, I'll admit now, Max... I went in with the intention of hating this. I went in, I was like, I am going to fucking detest this. And I even texted out and I was like, oh, fuck me. We've just sat down. It's all going to start. Also, wait, hold on. Um, did you read the Wikipedia again beforehand like you normally do? And did that? Yeah. Oh, I'd read there? the entire oh, plot before I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, it's me. Of course I thought that might have made it a bit easier to kind of. Well, this is it. Right, you could... would have thought. You would have thought that would make it easier to follow. But if anything... Because I knew what the story was, then for the first half hour, it was just so fast. And the for me, I, I don't know if my brain was just half awake, but like that, saying the dates on the newspaper, for me, I glanced and the newspaper's on the screen and then something else was happening. Like I didn't even have time to really register what was happening. 
and the milk stuff, he just, I found them speaking really mutteringly, not quietly necessarily. Mm. And I was like, what are they they saying? I don't get (laughs) this. And of course that is how you would talk to someone when you're busy and you're both concentrating on other things. You're not really trying to have a conversation, but certainly for that first half hour, I found it really disorientating. And I know I looked over at you a couple of times and you were like this. (laughs) (laughs) Both of us were just so like, what is happening? I was whipping around. The first time I did like any of the stuff, any of the milk top stuff, I I would agree putting it out there that gets my first tick of like wanky film choices like, <laughs> I'm sure there will be more to come but I did notice it's the there was the moment where she sat and said oh you know do you want to I don't I think um she asked him on a date basically and said no 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 I've got a wife and kid and she's and she said oh no, no she's not called you she's been gone a year yeah I was like Eh? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, yeah. Which is fine. I don't mind that. Yeah. But also, I think, like, I think to Harry's point, like that's that that kind of stuff works a lot better because that is you cannot, unless you're not listening, you can't not notice that, right? Yeah. And that that stuff is great. <clears throat> I do agree with Harry's point about that stuff. Like the newspapers, the milk con. It's practice. It's like if it was like three frames, it feels so quick that you, you know, like your brain can't compute as quickly as it was shown exactly what they were showing you and what that meant and how much time had passed. Mm-hmm. Whereas when a character says to you, it to you, it's, it is tell, don't show, which is yeah. our, which is the cut in theory, the cardinal sin yeah. in filmmaking, but it's easier to follow. Well, that kind of it's story. a good example, Jane, because that instantly made me think, oh, he's, he's, his perception of reality is off. That was the first mm-hmm. instance where I thought, oh, he thinks it's a, a week or whatever, but it's a year. And yeah, yeah, it was a it was an obvious example of, and it, it was good storytelling because I was like, oh, he clearly isn't thinking in you know the realms of reality, and that. But that was the first instance of that I got where, oh, clearly something is time is passing quicker than I thought it might, kind of thing. Yeah, because um, I had to be told. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Anyone get caught out by the gum surgery scene? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I had yeah, to look like away. I think I probably looked away. Yeah, didn't like that. What bit? I think I was watching it by myself and Audrey went, oh, yeah. oh no! Need. What was the need in that? It's horrible. <laughs> I think it's I just said that. Yeah, it's quite a good summary for the film. Well, yeah, to be fair, amalgamation <laughs> <laughs> of things he fears. I fear the dentist, so I get that. Put it in the film. I don't know. Yeah. I think like, that was, the, the, you know, sorry. oh, go on, Laura. Just the fishing around in the shit. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah, that was not nice. And the <laughs> little kid as well. Like, we're all very concerned about him with all of it. Like, when he was peeing in the sink and just pure blood was coming out. And it's like, uh, yeah. you should be more concerned about this than you are. But the other one was the little kid. At, what's her name? Olive at the start with fucking neon green shit. <laughs> and the parents yeah. are like, ah, don't worry about it. Nah. That's nah, get yourself to school. Go on. Don't worry. There was one thing about that I saw where it's if you uh, Adele and um his face. face. Um, <laughs> they are both on the other, they're both at complete opposites. So she completely ignores it. So if you look at the start, the very first thing you see her do is she's got a cough and she's coughing throughout and she completely dismisses it. And then at the end she dies of lung cancer. This is developed across the film, she just ignores things. Whereas with him he worries about it so much across it but and tries to explain it like when he's talking to Olive about pipes 
and ends up making it worse because he's so in the detail and so focused on that. Uh, and then, yeah, great, great face reaction. <laughs> uh, and then also with the art that they do, she works on the incredibly small scale and he works on the incredibly large scale. And it's immediately through that showing them how they're opposites and that maybe they shouldn't be together as well. It's very, <laughs> it's cool. I can see him writing though, like, (laughs) and then she dies of lung cancer, like, and he's like laughing to himself, like, this is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I opened Adele Coffs, and then they don't know she's going to die of lung cancer. (laughs) (laughs) But I know, because I know everything. (laughs) (laughs) To bring it back to the, the illness, though, this was something, so Ben and I went out for coffee today, and we were sat really discussing the film. And I think Ben at one point was like, can you imagine if you had found your berry and we were sat in a fucking coffee shop, both wearing turtlenecks, discussing this film, going, yes, but the metaphors are the same. <laughs> but the illness for him, I know at the start, he was very, like every five seconds, it was a new symptom. There was something else coming out of somewhere it shouldn't be. And everyone was very worried. He had psychosis at one point. But it seemed to get better. Yeah, that seemed to that. disappear very. I was like, surely if this is degenerative, like they seem to be saying, setting it up to be, surely he'd be a lot worse off in the later half of the film than he is. He seems to just be old yeah. by then. Yeah. yeah. Isn't a lot of it in his head? I, I mean, um, it, one of his fears is he's a hypochondriac, isn't it? And he's scared of getting all these diseases. It doesn't necessarily mean they're real, but they're. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I think, like, and, what I kind of the seizure was... and things, do we think that was real? Like, oh, yeah, it only happened once. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, it was a lot going on, and then I, I think it's quite a good point where it just stopped because yeah. it, it was teeing it up. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a yeah, like he's going to like be like a degenerative, like, where is this going? And then that side of things just stopped what does he stop becoming a hypochondriac he just gets the macarthur grant he's like i'm healed i know later on he's kind of saying like oh i'm on all these pills and stuff when he's kind of trying to explain why he can't get it up and stuff but it, the amount of things that were happening at the start like the blood in the stool the blood in the pee the gum disease the seizures the pupils not working properly the psychosis on the skin like that's so much and surely if you've been treating that and taking all those pills for that many decades as he has been surely that's going to reach a point where actually that's having an effect on you as well but he just he just seems to be old by the end (laughs) i I think i think there's an element to which it's a slightly wanky reason of when he gets the MacArthur grant and decides to do the art completely on his own terms, then he gets distracted <laughs> by from his hypochondria into just completely put himself into his art. Whereas, like you know, at that point, his wife and his daughter have gone. It's just him. Mm. He's working on something from scratch that he just completely absorbs his entire life into. Yeah, and so the reason why a lot of those illnesses stop is because of that. And I'm not saying that's good writing because it's quite ridiculous, but that's the way I interpreted it. I would also think potentially as the further he develops into a psychosis towards the end of the film, the less he's bothered by his actual bodily functions, right? Because everything's going on inside the realms of his own mind to a degree. 
And so he's less bothered about his his physical health and less worried about. He's getting to the point where he's completely lost control of reality, hasn't he? Like mm. he's still got, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like autonomy well, yes. over to his new him. Like everyone mm. that's playing him and becoming him. Like, and he's being told what to do by them. By that point, like maybe it's out of his control anymore. He's yeah, yeah. he thinks he's ill or not. I don't oh, know. Like, yeah, it's maybe. Sure. <laughs> My like main reaction to Max was just like I fundamentally resent a film that makes like that I have to read up about to yeah. understand because that means it's the wrong medium. <laughs> yeah. If if you it's haven't been able to explain it in the film, then you haven't made a good film. Um, yeah, and it felt like a guy that's been to far too many like English literature seminars and picked apart a text. He loves Ulysses yeah. by James yeah. Joyce. You know what I mean? Like he's decided <laughs> to do that as a film. Yeah. Yeah. I got a real sense that he'd impressed himself by writing it. Yeah. We meant to be like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all sorts. Completely agree. My God. What I was going to bring up as well was um, this is the first film that he directed. All of his previous work have been directed by uh, Spike Jones. Uh, and Michelle Gondry for Eternal Sunshine. Uh, and something that has been said about Calhoun's work is that he's a fantastic writer in terms of dialogue and all these great themes, but when it comes to him actually directing, there's something missing. And it's interesting that the four yes. films, the films that he hasn't directed, which are still as wacky, are seen as being amazing, but the, the ones that he has directed are seen as being weaker. Um, and it's just interesting, like if you were to have someone else direct it, would that make a difference? Originally, Spike Jones was down to do it, but he decided to do Where the Wild Things Are instead, um, which is maybe... Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. point, because I've seen uh, B.J. Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine. I think they're excellent films. Really, really like them. And like, because they're odd, like, but they do it in a way that it's a really good, odd storytelling, but then someone's at the helm and... and and tells it in a different way but I mean it kind of just echoes the point of adding to his pretension that the first film he directs is about this director and yeah. <laughs> like magnum opus so, yeah. it's something I said to you Max that you know that, that I say before other films like I personally believe there's a point where a film could be too personal to be understandable and this for me felt like that where it's like it's so much about oh he's gone world and the industry that he works in that it just it's like this is now inaccessible because you're you're too focused on the way you view everything that we can't mm. access it as well as we should be able to yeah i think it's well put i, think, I just don't care yeah yeah oh. I, was thinking, I just, I just didn't, didn't care, care about him at no. all. <laughs> i was <laughs> like this, this, this annoying man has got these three odd girlfriends that like somehow yeah. for some reason still like him it's just completely, I didn't like empathize with him at all. I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that because I think <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's one of the best actors of all time. Yeah. And he's clearly very good. Yeah. But I was like, Christ, I don't care. You know, like, <laughs> one of yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's tricks as an actor is getting so much empathy out of a character. Like, he plays these amazing characters you have so much sympathy with or for. And yet with this one, I was like, okay. 
And then when he dies, I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know end, that might I have evoked more of an emotional reaction in people at the end, the very end. But I was like, what the? F-? Yeah. No. I yeah. I think I had I had very very little sympathy for his character. I also like. Like, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it, but I found it incredibly fucking creepy the way that women were treated in this film, <laughs> particularly yeah. his daughter. And like, mm, oh, but again, it's like, if we go back to the point that it's things that men fear, that your daughter getting older and, and you know, becoming a, a sexualized being, yeah, of course, that that is, that's a sort of legitimate fear, but the way it was presented and the way that it was explored just mm, gave me the, absolute creeps mm. no, really you mean, that. That, like there was kind of you know especially in the daughter storyline there was no kind of like male influence on that character's journey at all like yeah. she goes to germany with her mum and then throughout that whole thing every kind of influence on it on her that made her become this tattooed art thing was purely women and that's like enhancing this idea of like the way that either Kaufman or this character view women like you yeah. know, you didn't get ready. Like that was kind of very not odd because I suppose again, as we're saying, it fits into a little bit the psycho psychology of the character and the the creator. But well, again, you know, like, like, his biggest dread was that his daughter thought he was gay and things like that. Like it's just all of those interpersonal relationships and the way they played out. Every time they hit a note like that, I just got further and further away from being able to have any empathy for him. Yeah, like, it was just it. Ooh! Creepy. I Creepy found man. that with the the women who he was having sex with, like who there wasn't really a relationship. You know, who's the one yeah. slept with after the funeral? Emily Watson. It was just, character. Yeah. Where did that come from? And why? Yeah. And why? And why? <laughs> like he's a fantastic actor. Don't get me wrong, but at that point in the film, after everything that's happened, I'm like, how do you still see this thing? as a sexualized being <laughs> and all he's doing is dictating your waking hours and being creepy and not finishing his sentences and just mumbling uh, off. It, <laughs> it, it, also gave, it gave an impression to me as well in terms of the way that the women who kind of pursued him. So if you can kind of look at Adele, Catherine Keane's character as like the wife who leaves and then all the women who kind of in quotation marks pursue him afterwards. So Samantha Morton, Michelle Williams and Emily Watson. It's like, it's almost like they're pursuing him because he's this genius. He's this amazing genius who's doing this amazing work and they're just, they fall in love with him because of his genius. And I was like, oh, fuck off. Like, the thing is, the screenwriting if, again. Yeah, yeah, if they it's wanted like, us... It's almost like Calvin was saying, if you're that clever and you're that brilliant at your job, that women will just throw themselves at you. It's like, oh, behave. But like as well, <laughs> if, if you wanted us to think he was that much of a genius, they should not have showed us his fucking theatre play. They shouldn't have shown us that. Oh, because then they could have... Always terrible. I, I wrote down, what? why is theatre... You can watch theatre, like, you watch theatre live, and then you can watch theatre on screen. And, like, there's a significant difference, right? And then you watch a theatre play in a TV or film, <laughs> and it is so much worse than any theatre ever. <laughs> You could try and make great theatre within a film and it would still be terrible. Mm. It's, just, it, it's always awful. I and said, got... it, it feels like there's, ne there's never a film that just never hesitates to just take a swipe at stupid theatre. <laughs> 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 it's always a drive-by bang. <laughs> like, there's never... Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was piss poor. 
<laughs> I I would like to defend this film. I, I, why? Really like <laughs> that Ollie show, boy. Yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> well, I can't see you, I can't tell who it was. No, yeah, yeah, it's me. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm on on the road and hating this film so much. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so, wait, car- car- carry on, Ben. I think that there's a couple of ways I could I would like to defend it, but one of the things that one of the reasons I cannot dislike this film is its sheer ambition. Like it is just taking the biggest swing and not a single decision in it is safe. Watching it, I, I saw Charlie Kaufman as a director and writer, someone who is utterly exhausted with cinematic convention and set out to make a film that flew in the face of a lot of what we consider safe filmmaking. I think a lot of what is attempted falls flat on its face. However. I love to try <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's just, I, I, I feel, I, I, I can't dislike it for that reason. I think it's such it's 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 brave it's 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 brave filmmaking for me and i don't think it should win any awards i certainly don't think it was the best film of the decade as roger ebert said <laughs> yeah. i love um, respect for roger ebert until that moment <laughs> i think yeah I, I i i i'm i'm kind of a little bit enamored with it i don't think it's perfect by any means but i just thought it, it stuck with me a lot the idea of it as a horror, I quite like because it's not quite a nightmare, but it's certainly a bad dream. All the way through, I was I was completely disorientated, but kind of hypnotized to the point where we were chatting this morning, and I, I it almost felt like it was a dream I had last night. This movie. Um, also, I guess my other point, my other defense is I have no idea how you make a film about the examination of the examination of life without being pretentious. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think it is a hugely pretentious film, but I actually don't I don't think that's yeah, it's a particularly valid criticism because look at the subject matter, look at as, as you as you say Ben, look at what they're trying to do. The the whole the whole purpose of this film is a pretentious one if you want to think of it that way. But then you can say that about the pursuit of a lot of artistic mm. endeavor. You know, for for me, watching this film, it, it's the most affecting film I've I've seen all year. Actually, in terms of like, I paused it halfway through, um, and because I had to call my brother, completely boring, normal conversation. But as I was talking to him, I was like, "Sorry, give me a minute. I've been watching this film, and now I'm not quite sure which way up the world is meant to be. Just like, give me a second. It is really disorientating. It is. It made me feel like I was." like I was having a bad trip almost. And that, that the craftsmanship in that, I think is, is amazing. I think unfortunately the kind of the, the voice, the main, the voice and it's whether it's the writer or whether it's the main character is a bit of, don't know, is it him just congratulating himself on writing something clever? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the problem is that's not a voice I particularly 
engage with. So I think there are a lot of like quite artsy, quite privileged men who've watched this film and gone, God, that reminds me of me somehow. And like, (laughs) which is why I think it's lauded perhaps more than I want. I I don't want to rejoice in a lot of what happened during the film and, 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 and it's, and it's sort of projected views of the world. But I, I, I think it was unbelievable. I'm, I'm thrilled to have watched it. And I think it's a film that I would maybe give a few years and watch again. Um, yeah. Oh, you really, really went off on one there. Sorry. <laughs> I want to know what Ollie thought. I do. <laughs> yes. um, I think you know where this is going, Anna. <laughs> you don't want to know what he thinks, you just want to hear him say it. It was just so, so fucking self-indulgent that every word that came out of his mouth, I was just like, fuck off. <laughs> so annoying. Like, oh, give it a rap. Like, just give me a nice storyline. Like, something, like, enjoyable to watch. I was just baffled by it. Too much playing with his own poo. Too much talking about mentation and thinking about his daughter. Jesus Christ. I, 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 was, I was just lost most of it. Shah was very confused as well. She was like, I've not a fucking clue what's going on. And you're like, you know what? I don't blame you. I don't either. <laughs> playing the same fucking bloke, playing them, but also like, baffling. And then Rush, oh, fuck me. Yeah, I, I was a bit lost. I know there's probably some very good podcast material, so sorry, sorry, Gus. But, um, <laughs> it's all right. It will be, it will be left um, in. Don't worry. <laughs> this will be left in. Blimey. Your, uh, your listenership is going to tank. Um, <laughs> oh, you, you'll, you'll be, you're praising the podcast too much if you think it had high listenership before <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I listening to what Jen was just saying. Then I was like, "Yeah, I get that. I get that they were trying to do a thing." But I think my reaction to what the writing was was so violently against what they were trying to do, and like the just self-congratulatory nature of it. That I was just like, "Nah, I can't be having this." Um, I did get a bit. Uh, that turned upside down by it thing Jen said though I can completely agree with because at one point I started doing the ironing while I was watching this and I went to put the iron back in the fridge when I was done so (laughs) (laughs) in memoriam at the end I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I don't know if this is dumbing down the conversation but what Ben was saying about he had to appreciate the sheer ambition of this film reminds me of a conversation we had Ben about Frozen 2 so I'm going from the next new York to Frozen 2. Frozen 2 is the last film, and I will well, not let anyone say anything I argued with Ben it's about it, because Ben said that he loved the ambition of it, how big it was, how it took the world that in the, from the first one and went wider and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I completely agree with him. I didn't like it as much because it didn't stick it. It didn't stick the landing. And so for me, that was one of the problems I had with this film is that I can, I can, as you do, Ben, appreciate the idea of going big, going, you know, yeah. really swinging for the fences. But this film just didn't quite nail it for me. And there was a point during the film where I went, oh, my God, like the themes this film is talking about are so interesting. And I started like just writing them down in my head, like literally like 10, 15 themes. I was like, these are so interesting. And then, I, and then my brain went, but is it actually saying anything about these or is it just going to kind of opening them up to you to talk about yourself? Yeah. And like... There's, a, there's an element of that, which is great. Like, you know, you can open up conversations you don't have to answer. But it felt like a film like this, it had so many themes that it opened Let's up think to about the this. audience. Exactly. It was like, you know, oh, we're going to discuss yeah. this, we're going to discuss that. But it never yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it didn't li- give any answers at all, but not in a way where it's like, we're purposely not giving you answers. It felt like it just failed to give answers. That was the way I felt about it. 
I think it's a really good point. I think, like, just say something about pick two, pick five. This pick, this tried to pick 50 things to say. And, yeah. on this, and I appreciate, and I, I agree with you, Ben, I appreciate the ambition of it, but it was trying to do so much stuff that I got three quarters of the way in and I gave up. So I was like, you've not, yeah. you've not stayed in, in not even one lane, you've not stayed in five lanes. It's just like, now I don't care about anything because you've tried to do everything. And then there's this big, poetic, seemingly beautiful end. And I was like, you've not earned that for me at all because you've tried to go on 25 different tangents and then get to this point, if that makes any sense. I actually thought the ending dragged. I, I, I thought the pace well, of the I agree, but was... I, I think we're meant I, I to be... I thought that was misjudged. Right. It was too long and dreary for me at the end. Can I, well, I open... mean, I'll get back. Yeah, can I open the question to the people who've read the 15 articles required to understand this? <laughs> what, and this is something we've both struggled with, was the purpose of the burning house and um, why was no one reacting? I thought that was going to come up. Hold on. That was, that was the one I, thing that I'm like, oh, I've on. even read about the burning house and I still think it's fucking bullshit. Because like, that was in the like, real world. That wasn't in his yeah, little. Yeah. That was in the real world. As a yeah, burning that, house. That was like twenty minutes in. She just yeah, drove up yeah. to a burning house and was like, "I don't know if I want to buy it because I might die in the fire." What? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go again. I'm gonna be a little bit annoyed, but like the bloke that she marries, that's the bloke who lived in the basement, right? Yeah. yeah cool. I, was, I, I never. I never oh, actually yeah. in the actual film. I, I never that. put it together, but I kept thinking that's what was what it was. It was. Uh, this was the first part I think where I was like, I, I'm completely detaching myself from this film. So I turned to Max and I was like, <laughs> "What is doing? Why is this house on fire?" And he goes, yeah. "In his head." And I was like, but he, isn't, "He isn't there. How can it be? Where?" Because the whole film is like oh, that. Oh, no, 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 great, but yeah. very clever. But, but, but no, at that point, at that point, right, it's all in his head. This is like a reflection of it. Yeah, well, exactly, it's a reflection of it burning. No, because it was one of the few oh. scenes of the film that he wasn't. He wasn't there. Man. That suddenly became like a Dr. Zeus film. It was like the cat in the hat when she put yeah. the cat. And it's like, what? what I, someone tried to justify it to me saying, well, don't we all buy a burning house? I'm like, <laughs> no, fucking no. no. And then, and then they were like, well, <laughs> we all buy the house we're going to die in. And I'm like, check what? and make. And like, I think we no all other houses like... are on fire. No, there's, isn't there like a literary quote about we all live in a burning house at some point yeah. i think he's essentially read that quote and gone do you know what would be clever if someone lived in a <laughs> literal burning you, 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 house. Know, you know how because yeah because because doesn't she she dies of, of smoke inhalation at the end doesn't she? yeah, like the yeah. character and so it goes back to that whole thing that you were talking about earlier max where it's like oh she coughed in the first scene therefore she's gonna <laughs> die of lung cancer at the end it's like it always felt like she had to die at some point in the film and he couldn't think of an interesting way for her to die. So he was just like, right, um, she lives uh, in the burning house so at some point she's going to die from that. Actually, according to the Wikipedia page that I read last Sunday night, uh, she chooses the manner of her death. So it's really all this conversation about if we get to choose how we die, she chooses the burning house. and therefore Why would you chooses... choose that though? That I don't fucking know, Gus, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> This is bullshit. I think the key. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't trying to go against you. I was trying to go against the fucking writer for like, uh, yeah, whatever. I think the key point was that the end is at the beginning. That's mentioned a lot by the characters. And now we've said it three times now that, yeah, he's being too clever. But it's that whole thing of is he? how Adele dies, the lung cancer, this with the house, like the end is in the beginning. And I think he's just trying to like ham home it 17 times. 
Yeah, I, I also, I did have a, have a thing and my brain is going to come out of my ears while I try and explain this, so bear with me. But her, her character, Nina. a lot of her kind of no. interest for him in the beginning, I suppose, is like she's out pursuing him even though he's, you know, in his marriage and stuff, sorry, and Alex has got to put Nina's baby grow on because she's she got spayed the other day and she's been licking her stitches. That's my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but no. I thought that that scene with her buying the burning house actually didn't happen in real life. I think that's him imagining her going and it, I thought it was just a metaphor for essentially she's kind of exciting to him. She lives life on the edge. She's not afraid of danger. That's all I thought it was. And that, you know, partly he finds her quite kind of sexy and attractive because of that. But that's when I get really creeped out by the just, I mean, it's literally just bringing imagery in because he can't connect to a single other human being, let alone a fucking female. So any woman like, yeah, throw some imagery in there. That'll help. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Can I, that brings particular scene. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're, I'm talking about something completely different, so go ahead, Ollie. Hi, mate. Um, so, that particular scene, the house on fire thing, it made me very much, it made me doubt myself as to whether I am a very, very lazy film viewer, because rather than try and pick any of that apart, my immediate reaction to it was just fucking nonsense, rather than, like, <laughs> then I'd try to dig into it anymore, but, like, I just don't... <sighs> It's just too much hard work, wasn't it, in general? Um, well, yeah. Come on. I just don't... I don't think anything had been that abstract until that point, or my, or have I missed something drastic? No, that, it, like, it, no really. There were, there, were, there were subtle oddities, which I thought, oh, this is cool, you know, like, mm. clearly something was wrong with him and maybe his shit was weird. And then all of a sudden, bang, house on fire. And it was just like, oh, this film is now suddenly really abstract when you were teasing yeah, abstraction. And yeah. I, I completely agree, Harry, because I was exactly the same. I was like, oh, it's interesting, because as you say, like, to do a such an idea, it felt quite normal with, like, you know, like, he was appearing in the adverts on TV and stuff like yeah, that. And I was like, like oh, okay, so this is, yeah. like, a little bit odd, but fine. And then, but once you, as you say, once you get to the burning house, you can't go back. You've yeah. now gone so far in the abstract and surreal that you then have to stick with that. Well, in theory, you should stick with that from, from then on. You can't like, then go, we've got yeah. a burning house in the first half an hour, and then we're going to go back to the other stuff. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. Our brain can't compute what you're trying to do if you do that. In keeping with how it had been, maybe there's, you know, she walks in the house, it's on fire, and she does a double take, and it's not on fire anymore or something. That's the same as him seeing himself on TV, like, because it's like a half abstraction, but not fully, this house is on fire and we're referencing it. And or, yeah, or almost like what I kind of imagined was almost like not the whole house is on fire. Like there's a fire in the house that's clearly like not in a fireplace or like in an area mm. where there should be a fire. And so her brain's telling her, well, that's clearly a problem, mm. but I can ignore it because I'm sure something will happen. It will get sorted out when the whole house is on fire. Like, yeah, you know, See, that, that's so far that you can't ignore it. You can't put that away. You can't compartmentalize that. Which he, he could do with everything that had happened to him previously. He could. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And the addition of like, there was the presence of this guy in the background, like, but it wasn't constant kind of thing. And then all of a sudden stuff is just like always present and not explained. And there's a million things. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. On that man that was following him, why <laughs> wasn't following him? 
Because he's a genius, Anna. Because he knew these were players player. 30 years he time. Then became him. That, that's that was never given a justification, like an answer, and then it was like, oh, cool, you can play me. That's it. I'm not going to credit you. Unless they were in the room when he's having sex. Yeah. Sorry, Laura. I was going to say, unless they were in a warehouse of their own and he was being primed to take over. Now that's just Whoa. ridiculous. The files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> were they not on set the whole time? A Reddit thread said they were. So <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> and these posters had watched it three times. So maybe they know what they're talking about. Because be you know, I've only watched it once. You know the painting on the wall in his house in the first like half hour. There was just like a like Han Solo kind of person on the wall. Yeah. Sure. Never explained. At first I was like, all right, I guess the wife painted it. I don't know. Then we saw her work. I'm like, this is too big to be her work. Because <laughs> she paints little tiny things. And this is a massive life-size painting on the wall. And then Reddit, my good friend, like, I don't know what his name was. But he was saying, does that prove that that's the set as well? No, it just proves he's got an awful <laughs> painting in his house. No, you painted it. Also, why was there a Zeppelin? Nice background, doll. <laughs> um, can I just bring up, did anyone else think this film was uh, so dark in terms of colour, palette or whatever? And did anyone else on Prime, the quality was, oh, I don't know if we're just like spoiled now with like Blu-ray releases or it felt like it was so grainy to a point. what happened in his house, yeah. Yeah, it was so grainy, dark and like, not HD, if that makes any sense, to a point of like, I couldn't see most of what was going on for a lot of the time. Did anyone else have that issue? Or? Yeah. I feel like maybe I did, but I didn't really clock it. I'm sorry, this is already hard enough to follow and everything seems really dark and like high contrast and no. Yeah, my my I changed the brightness on my on. TV because I was like, I can't see a fucking thing here. Perhaps it was my TV. I you know, I don't know. I was like, but it was really bothering me to a point that like, I can't see half what's fucking going on. But perhaps that wasn't. Uh, I mean, so any like, film my stream is normally like a certain level of quality. I mean, it's not like you can choose auto 1080p on fucking Prime, but it felt like it was constant, and it wasn't an internet connection thing. It wasn't like pixelated but no just me no no it, i would say it's uh pretty pretty poor there were about five minutes in the middle where i couldn't see anything mm. but that was because my eyes were closed because i thought <laughs> <laughs> what he hates <laughs>
it's not even like, well, actually, I felt a bit robbed because at the start, when I was having all the clinical symptoms of like metastatic cancer, uh, oh, oh, yeah, here we go. this is going to be interesting. And then I was duped because like after 20 minutes, they dropped all of that shit. He should have died like within like a couple months based on all of those symptoms. And I was just like, <laughs> and then they never went back to it. They never went back to the, to the blood of his stools or, you know, or the, the non-dilating pubes. Kissing blood. Kissing blood. I don't know, because it was so dark. It was so grainy, I couldn't <laughs> He just was really dehydrated. <laughs> Kill Harry. Juice? I am so glad you've given like an official medical backing to what I was so <laughs> pissed off about. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it takes it. It was like, he's literally just dumped in like all the like red flags for cancer that mean you've got months to live. Like just dump them all into like five minutes. And then this guy lives for another 40 freaking years. Oh. Was it? <laughs> he was, right. So his daughter, I know we're, we're talking about like he was losing his sense of time and stuff. But she was four when she left to go to Berlin and when he meets yes. her on her deathbed she looks older than 40s she looks like 50s possibly and he did not look there wasn't enough of an age gap she had grey hair Gus don't furrow your brows because <laughs> the body was decaying like those evil evil tattoos that she got I didn't really dirty, dirty flowers. That it reminds me, like, honestly, it reminds me of whenever my mum discusses tattoos and they don't, the, I, have, I have a small one on my foot that they don't know about and I've had for five years now because my mum always says that essentially she uses the word prostitute quite a lot when yeah. tattoos come up and it's just a very old view. I don't agree with it, but it's just like ingrained in her head. And this thing where he was so scandalised that his daughter had got a tattoo. I was like, oh, I feel this. I it when she was a kid, though. When she when she was like eleven and covered in tattoos, I was like, yeah. But she like, wasn't. That... She was like, I mean, that in that picture, she was like in her twenties. No. But then the no, woman the said, oh no, she's in twelve. She was very no, the first picture, she was a definite kid. And like, I can't remember so much about it. He didn't give a shit about his second daughter that he had with yeah. that. I know. Never no, the wrong name. The whole build. You know, there was like a, there was definitely a, a time jump, and and the, that kid was like the same age, like a five-year yeah. time jump. I was like, what? What was the point in the Michelle Williams storyline? Which is like, how dare anyone do that to Michelle Williams? Like, what was the point in having her in it and doing that? What he had a second wife and daughter, and like forgot that they were there and then it completely negate it completely takes away from us like believing that he cares so much about the first and first wife and first well, yeah. but i think he, he does really i think he was that just that obsessing about the fact they left him that's the point he didn't so he care to he was just pissed off that they'd abandoned him <sighs> ego um, fucking fragile fragile ego um i loved it <laughs> can we talk about why he became his wife, his ex-wife's cleaner, and then why Ellen became him. I can't even be asked to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, sorry, I shouldn't have framed it like that. I'm like, should we talk about it? We probably don't want to, but that lost me then when he started becoming a cleaner, and then this cleaner became a person, and then he became Ellen, and then Ellen became him. 
and Ellen told him to die and then he died and then the credits rolled and now I'm here. Because there was the bit right at the start with his shitty theatre play where he was being lauded for casting young people in the roles and they were like, ooh, such interesting casting. And then when we get into this, like anyone's playing anyone, <laughs> even if, you know, they're nothing like the character they're playing and stuff. So I wondered if that was trying to lay the groundwork for this fluidity of characters but and i hate to say it it was shit acting no one was acting like the person they were trying he didn't change anything about himself when he became ellen yeah he did the same thing he'd already done i think yes i agree and then that made me not give a shit about how the end of the film is this beautiful emotional connection with ellen's mum who suddenly is in the film and it's not any of the characters he's had a relationship with before but we're suddenly meant to feel Sad because he's with Ellen's mum, who we met in a flashback two minutes ago. I mean, maybe that's the point in that no one else has been in the <laughs> film. Now it's Ellen's mum. That's the thing where it's like everyone is everyone. You are your daughter. You are your ex-wife. You are Ellen. You are the cleaner. We are all Ellen, guys. <laughs> we are all Ellen. We are Ellen. <laughs> part of the crew, part of the ship. Um, I didn't understand why he had to be told what to do. Like, I mean, I, I, I vaguely get the idea of he's so, like, detached from how real life works anymore that he has to be told what to do. But I was like, it wasn't like he was told to do anything interesting or anything of, like, you know, importance. He was just told to, like, no, wake up he, and sit up. and. He was telling them what to do with the little pieces of paper. Yeah, but why was it? There's a, yeah, no, absolutely fine. But then why was he constantly... So if she, in theory, is taking over him as the director of this whole project... Yeah. She seems to be spending an awful lot of time focusing on one character. Because she's know. constantly talking in his ear about how he's supposed to do everything in his life. It's like, so now this massive, you know, scale New York that's in this warehouse has now gone to one room of him. Yeah, but everyone else is, is, is other dead. stuff still happening outside this room or not? No, they're all dead. But none of it, okay. none of that really existed. It's just his perception, right? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Fine. Oh. We were wondering about the, um, the, like clearly something is going on in, in the warehouse with like the zeppelins and the tanks and shit. And we're wondering, or I was thinking, has he somehow brought this about? Because obviously he's giving them all these pieces of paper with like instructions on, like this is what is happening to you today and stuff. Is he somehow subconsciously making this like awful thing happen? Yeah, because it did feel like the apocalypse was happening while he was making his play, didn't it? Sorry? Like, people, like people were dying in the street. But again, like is it not just, that's another just externalisation of inner fears that he has. I thought that I think, was in the I warehouse. Think, I think that, like, there is no, there's actually no point, and it's not the, there's no point trying to make sense of a lot of this, right? Like, but I actually don't think that's the intention. I don't think you're meant to make sense of it. I think you're meant to get a series of impressions from this film and it's meant to make you think along certain lines or feel certain things right like surely none of this shit actually is meant to be legitimate or have happened like surely it's yeah. just yeah, like, you know it's, for me i'm just like it's just like looking at a surrealist painting like yeah there's some melting clocks i don't know what the fuck they mean but they make me feel a bit creepy fine just like yeah but i don't care about know? those clocks <laughs> but then don't give us the first half an hour being quite like fairly normal with elements of like surrealism. Make the whole thing yeah, yeah, yeah. mad. Make the whole thing insane. From the, from the off. Go, go full hog with it. 
Yeah. Don't give us half an hour where it feels like a slightly, you know, a film that I feel like I've maybe seen a little bit before, before, but with weird stuff happening on a TV. Well, like, I wasn't Don't even, give me that bit. I wasn't even sold by the first part, really. <laughs> like, if it was two hours of that, I still wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> no, fair enough. But I'm just saying, like, you, you know, you, if you're going to go so massively abstract and just, yeah. you're not supposed to understand any of it and you're supposed to make you feel certain things about things you haven't thought about in your life, then just do it. Yeah, mm. Terrence Malick does that in his class from the off. It's just like, this is yeah. fucking weird and big and poetic and nothing makes sense and people are whispering and stuff. But I don't know, Danny, I'm in for it. But this was like... Who does this, Harry? Who, what did you Terrence say? Terrence Malick's films. Uh, they're not really comparable, but they're weird and... Well, not weird, they're kind of beautiful, but nothing makes sense. Now one talks like this, and I'm sad. But it's done in a way that's just like, right from the off, it's bonkers. But <laughs> and I wish that he just gone whole hog to start with rather than be like here's a normal film no it's not like kind of thing <laughs> like, at that point i was like well it's like you've crashed the car and i'm stumbling out of the wreckage and i can't pay attention to the rest of this film it, it goes like back it. to i think as well what max was saying about the whole writer director <laughs> stuff in that like you know you, I haven't seen any of, of the films that Charlie Kaufman's directed, but I watched something like Eternal Sunshine, and in a lot of ways, that is pretty mental. That film, like the concept, is pretty bonkers, and a lot of the ways it's made and the kind of techniques it uses in certain scenes are just completely distorting reality. But it feels cohesive; it feels succinct, and this just doesn't, you know, and not then like you know. So, you know, I think that's the, I think the hit the nail on the head is, is the director of it for me. I, I, I don't know. Like, that's not fair. I don't know if any other director could make this more understandable or maybe, a, a, you know, a cleaner film because maybe that's not the point. But, you know. Yeah. I, reckon I think you could have I reckon they got fair, like yeah. five people in to look at it and they were like, fuck no. There's nothing I can do with this. <laughs> 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 has, um, has anyone seen I'm thinking of any things that's just got on Netflix which no, is no. him as well directing again and well, I don't want to take no, anyone's opinion before it. they watched it but I was equally this is the pretentious Bellend playing pretension again similar things but... yeah Oh, and as I said previously, I've seen two of the films he's written, and I think they're excellent. You know, and did he win an Oscar for writing adaptations? Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. Ah, I mean, as a writer, I've only ever enjoyed his work, so I was excited to watch this. I was excited to watch. I'm thinking of anything, and both I thought were shit. So maybe that. I mean, that says something <laughs> to me. He clearly, I don't like him as a director. Obviously. I don't know. I know we spoke about the fact that the main character doesn't have any empathy, but I've got to the end and I wrote down, if this wasn't Philip Seymour Hoffman in this role, I think I would have turned off a long time ago. Mm, yeah. Even uh, though the character's not empathetic and I didn't really care about his journey, I felt like if it was someone else playing that role, I would have just given up. Imagine if Adam Sandler had been playing that role. Yeah. I would watch it now. <laughs> Oscar. Oscar. Oh. That's the film Max wants to make. <laughs> <laughs> would have thrown something at the TV. Yeah, that's a good point, guys. I think there were flashes of brilliance for, from, well, we've discussed the acting. The acting saved it for me because there was some amazing stuff all around from everyone. Um, but but it's, a, it's a good point. I don't know, with a, with a, in lesser hands where there is a central character, I could yeah. have withstood him for, for too long. 
Yeah. Or any I of the characters, that. really, unless they're handsome, any of them, but on any of their parts. You can cling on to it on the basis that he's very, very watchable as a, just as a person, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I think this is the kind of film that sadly gives filmmakers and theatre makers a bad name. You know, mm. like well, it doesn't there help, are so yeah, many yeah. people. Like I have, mu- I have more time for this than I would otherwise because I'm a bit of a theatre nerd. I'm a bit of an art nerd. I'm a bit of a literature nerd. Like so, I'm trying to like engage with and enjoy some of the themes and everything. I think just your, like your average cinema goer, I would not recommend ever going near this film because yeah, it just, Jen, yeah. I said yeah. to Max afterwards, I was like. I don't mind a bit of pretentiousness every now and then. But, quite, know, yeah. Really but this was just like throwing it at the wall. <laughs> like a massive paint globs. I will say, just... I wasn't going to say this because I know it would have turned Lara off, but my brother loved Uncut Gems and loved this and recommended this to me to watch. So oh, oh there we are. <laughs> I'm just your <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wrote down... I wrote down something near the imagine? end, which... Oh, sorry. Oh, go on, Laura. <laughs> I was just going to say, can you imagine if this had come out and you'd spent twelve ninety five at fucking Odeon <laughs> to go and see this? <laughs> and, like, you were sat there with your Tango Ice Blast watching this. <laughs> oh, that's me all over. I'd ask for me money back. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no. Oh, God. Tango Ice Blast. You need to stop buying <laughs> cinema concessions, Lara. You're spending way too much money. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, for me, like I read, I, one of the things I spoiled at the end was I felt like the film kind of tells you at the end that this ultimate, this project, this theatre project that he's been trying to work on for decades or whatever doesn't actually work, right? That it's a failure and all this kind of stuff. And it's basically saying, for me, it was like the film's actual overall message was Art cannot imitate life. Like, that was the whole point of that journey that he was on. But it was art trying to imitate Charlie Kaufman's life or his opinion. So it was like, you're making a film about how art cannot perfectly imitate life, no matter how hard you try. It's always going to be a a fiction, a replication. It's never going to be exactly what you want it to be. And yet this whole film is you trying to do that. And so it's almost like meta trying to do what it can't knows it can't do. And so I was like, that kind of pissed me off when I worked that out. Whether I'm right or not is another thing. But like, mm. I asked why I came to. I was like, so you're trying to make a film that tells you just that you can't make a film about yourself, but you are making a film about yourself. So, fuck off. <laughs> so, fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Oh, brilliant. Do you know what? Fuck off, Amid all the surrealism and weirdness of this film, the thing that struck me as being the most fucking unrealistic is something being grant funded for fucking decades. Where on earth is all this money come from? <laughs> the Arts Council is fucking rinsed dry if this guy actually does. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. What it is, like, the MacArthur Genius Grant is essentially it's like $500,000, I think it is. Like, I think that rings well in my head. And so, like, how much, I don't, well, I don't know exactly, but like, how many, he must have had $500,000 a year every year for 40 years, Even if not more. Even that in New York would have been, like, maxing out your budget. Did anyone Yeah, exactly, because yeah, like, he, he starts off in what the place is called Synecdoche, or whatever it is where he starts off, Synecdoche. that's the town he starts off yeah. at, and then he goes to Broadway. It's like, okay, well, why? 
Mm. I actually couldn't work out when he'd gone to New York either. I don't know. Like it, it was all just because one minute he was looking at a warehouse, but then he was back home for a bit. And then it was, oh yeah, no, I've been in New York for a couple of years. What? Like, oh mm. God. When I don't like got, a film that, oh go on. Just when he got the letter and he was reading it out and they were saying like, here, use this money to make, and it was something wanky, like make, make something, something true, make something true and all this. And I was listening to it. And honestly, I think that was one, one of the many times Ben turned to see my reaction and burst out <laughs> laughing. So I was just there like, like who, who creates these vague, shitty, pointless briefs that are like, make something pure, make something, <laughs> make something that is memory and it's like it's bullshit. <laughs> how do you judge this where's the mark scheme right. what that's the letter like, that's the brief that calvin wrote for himself when he wrote this again i'm imitating life i'd love to see this made as a kid's like, film <laughs> <laughs> Somebody want to see it as a horror film and all he wants to see it as a kids film that's a pretty good uh, dichotomy I, um, I just want to know why everyone signed up to it uh, perhaps we can spe uh, speculate this cast is unbelievable right down to Hope Davis as the therapist Elizabeth Marvel sells in the warehouse like this is even like the doctors he sees at the this is peppered with people at the top of their game and oh wait! In real, how... real Sorry. life actors saying yes to it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The real life. <laughs> okay. But this cast is phenomenal. So they must have seen something in the script that they thought, and I don't know whether it's something like Ben said, where they think, "Oh, this is bonkers, taking risks. This is brave filmmaking. I want to be a part of this." But it doesn't matter if it's or each person got their bits and didn't see a wider script where they didn't. You know, like, because some of the scenes that people get are brilliantly written, but as it all hangs together, I, I think it's a mess. So I just don't know how he got so many brilliant people involved when, I don't know, I suppose that's a, that's a very open I would sign question. up for I would it. Just, I'd love we, to be we involved have, with something like this. We, it's, it's, in, it's just an enormous pile of God knows what. Like, that's yeah. exciting. Maybe, um... Maybe he got the MacArthur Genius Grant and he was giving them all £500,000 a year. <laughs> I think, Harry, I think we, I think the reason is probably what we've already touched on in the fact that his three writing gigs before this were so amazing yeah. that it's like, yeah. oh, Charlie Galvin's now directing. I want to be in that film. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them didn't even have see a script before they went on set kind of thing. Just because of like you feel like the nature of this film doesn't really help the actors. It's not an actor's piece, is it? It's like you know, there's no. What's the benefit of an actor knowing exactly how this all comes together? Because it's so abstract and surreal that it doesn't probably wouldn't even help them to have read the whole script. So he probably didn't even give them scripts really at all. He probably did just give them sides a lot of the time. I probably got yeah, got them just their scenes or yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's just like something that I I baffled me it was like the, the caliber of people in this is amazing and like in every scene and just so ollie run, run us through your um run us through your dessert is that a rachel's rice pudding <laughs> ah, no this is a um 
a Aldi <laughs> specially selected Sanga Sangana strawberry luxury yogurt. Sponsored by. Sponsored by Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> you can get us a sponsorship, we'll, we'll be spo- I'm happy to be sponsored by Aldi. Did we get yeah, can... Aldi pay? Like, that, yeah. Well, they're they, great. They're very they, generous. They would have sponsored they know, they a, a, a Yeah. You can put it in the description. If, like, only I could be, if only I could be paid for editing like the silence out of the video. Um, <laughs> uh, ratings? Should we do our scores? I just say, this has been an absolute joy to talk through, and I'm so glad <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, that's I so I wanted to watch. But I was like, no, I want to hear other people's opinions on it rather than me just going in and like loving it all myself and not sharing it with everyone. And I hope you've taken some bits that are nice. And I love the fact that you're ripping it to shreds. But Select Device is going to be my score, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Select Device will last on far, but we'll, we'll all be dead. And Select Device will still be happening. Um, right. Uh, start from the top. Uh, Alex. Um, I, I actually thought the, the, the first 20, 30 minutes of this film were really good. I, I, it was really like visceral and disturbing and like all the food checking and pissing blood. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was gripping and done really well. And then it, it jumps the shark almost immediately. I think the bur- I think there probably was the burning house bit and I, I, I didn't get me back. It was such a shame because I, I, before that I thought it was really good. I couldn't stop. I couldn't look away from the telly um, at all. And I was clinging on to every word. And I was like, oh, what? Then she just wasted so much time. Um, so for that reason, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to, give, I got to give credit there because I didn't I did think that was good. I did, like, and, and I don't think it's... I don't hate it as much as I've hated other films. Oh, uh, Anna. Two. Two. <laughs> Your letterbox was a five. One. No, it wasn't. It was Your letterbox was a five. No, it wasn't. It was yeah. two and a half. Yeah, yeah. two and a half out of five is five. Two. I was originally going to give. You doing out of letterbox? Shut up. Let me give my reviews. Um, I've changed it on letterbox to a one. Um. So, two, one point for the acting and one point for the balls. The what? The what? Balls. The the Ben's oh. point, the bravery. Oh. Uh, okay. Oh, right. Uh, I thought I missed something quite cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking no, of, Ben. Speaking, speaking of? The truest, the truest grade I could give it is a question mark out of ten, but... <laughs> I'll split the difference and say five. Five. Uh, Jen? Six. I'm also a six. Harry? Me, Harry. Yeah. Um, I was I was leaning towards a four, but because the performance is five. <laughs> Pavla? Um point for the acting and a point for the little girls joke about the green poo so it's a two <laughs> <laughs> uh laura um see when i spoke to anna last night i was like that 
that is a solid three. And then when Ben and I were talking about it in the coffee shop, I was like, you know what, actually, I think there's, there's more to this. I'll give this a four. But now we've just completely undone everything I thought this morning. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with a three. <laughs> Let's... Four, please. Four. Uh, Max. Uh, nine. I thought it was going to be I a 10. I really think it is, you're right, it's the ambition and it's the attempt to go with it. And I think it pulls off and it's the kind of thing of then, I agree, watching something again to look back at it. I genuinely loved it and I knew it was a film I was going to love and I wanted to see what everyone else thought. And it's fine that you all hated it because I loved it and it's a nine. Max, I, you do the same thing I do in reverse, though. You just go in wanting to love something. No, no, I was more than happy to not love it. But you were watching it with me. You, you were so distracted throughout, and I was oh, leaning in I like I'm so intrigued. I, I don't understand, Max. How you, I, your, your rating absolutely fine. I don't understand how you can possibly say I knew I was going to love it. How could you possibly know what this film was going to be unless you'd read everything about it beforehand? And you said you don't I, do that. I do have a feeling if, if you hadn't picked it, it would be slightly lower than a nine. I, <laughs> it's a nine. Can I just say, I knew Max was going to love this film on the basis that the title sounds like it could be a Vampire Weekend song. <laughs> <That's wrong. laughs> it's now a 10. Need? <laughs> Four. Four? Four. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Ollie. <laughs> so I, th I think you all know that I'm like, a, I'm a very basic film watcher. I am, um, you know, Miss Congeniality, Ratatouille, fucking give me, give me a straightforward <laughs> plot line. Um, I was one. Um, Shah was a zero. She said no redeeming features. Um, my redeeming features she can't, were... She can't give it a zero. Well, actually, no, she can't give it a zero. She shouldn't be allowed to, but I'll let her give it a zero. Okay. Max has scored a total of a full range in both his picks. Yeah. Well done, Max. You completed film club. You've completed it. Synecdoche, New York can currently be streamed in the UK on Amazon Prime. Thank you to Anchor for helping us make this podcast and to Alex Conway for composing our theme music. Thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon with another episode. Goodbye. <laughs>